Well, any architectural engineer knows that in order to build up, one must first go down. Fascinatingly enough, um, humanity has always been interested in building big things. You think about the Tower of Babel, the, the desire to build a tall structure going up, or this interest of us to try to build the biggest skyscrapers, the tallest buildings in all the world. During the Industrial Revolution, Western society was, was, uh, had this sort of fascination with wanting to build up as high as one could build. Corporations and individuals spent countless millions of dollars in the early years of the Industrial Revolution trying to build buildings as high as they could. From the Empire State Building to Sears Tower in Chicago, to some more of the recent skyscrapers like the Burj in Dubai or the Petronas Towers. Engineers want to try to go bigger and better every time. But of course, to build one of these giant skyscrapers, these engineers must build a firm foundation. Uh, the Burj in Dubai, which is perhaps one of the, lar- I think, still one of the largest skyscrapers in all the world. 22 million man hours went into building this structure. It sits there in Abu Dhabi uh, at, the, at the height of 2,717 feet. It can be seen up to 60 miles away. It has a foundation made up of 192 concrete piles that are 12 feet wide and 154 feet deep. To give you a little visual of that, the piles are as wide as the sanctuary and as long as Frederick Road to the back of our property, driven into the bedrock there on the side of the water. There's an entire system that keeps that giant skyscraper standing up rather than toppling into the water and sands below. In order for these towers to stand strong, they have to be built on a strong foundation. And Jesus appeals to this basic building structure, this basic engineering principle. If you want your house to be standing when you leave to get groceries and come home, you got to build it on a firm foundation. Well, we know that all across the, the coastal south this morning, there will be foundations, there will be homes tested. Can they withstand a 140 mile an hour hurricane? And of course, many of these structures are built in order to withstand such uh, intense winds. They aren't built like they're built up here, right? We don't build houses with stick frame down on the coastal United States because, well, they'll just blow away when the winds and the rains come. And Jesus uses this sort of everyday life experience as an illustration of our lives with God. That we have the option to build life our own way, to build life on sand, or we could build our life on the foundation of the Word of God. Upon the teachings of Jesus and the the Apostles' latter teachings. 
Jesus here concludes the Sermon on the Mount with this vivid illustration, calling his disciples, calling you and I to to really a decision, a, a, a choice. What road will we take? Will we continue to go our own way or will we go Jesus's way? And I've encouraged you this morning with each week as we've thought about these these different pairs, whether it be the two roads or the two teachers or the two disciples that we considered last week and, and this week, the two houses, is really making the decision is between am I for Jesus or am I against Jesus? My argument this morning is that a lot of people think they're for Jesus, but they're really against Jesus. I really get that more from what we thought about last week. Even so, what we think about this week, that there are those who are deceived about their relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. And and there is nothing, as we thought about last week, more frightening than to be deceived about who Jesus is. And more importantly, your, your relationship to Jesus. Friend, this morning, are you for Jesus or are you against Jesus? Will you accept Jesus as the authoritative teacher, come from God and follow him? Or will you choose to be your own teacher and your own guide? Will you simply choose to make Jesus uh, just another philosopher in your life, uh, gaining some advice from and then continuing your own way? Or will you radically turn an entirely different way? And as Jesus said there in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, will you... Deny yourself. In other words, stop going your way. Stop living your way. Will you deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus to death? Death of your own way and live his new way. With that in mind, this is the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. Jesus says, Everyone then... Who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock and everyone who hears these words of mine and does the, does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. Friends, as we consider this passage, Jesus makes this final call that disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ submit to his authority by hearing and obeying his word. And therefore, as a result, receive eternal blessings. So Jesus here makes clear that it is only those who hear and obey There's a lot of hearers, Jesus says. There's very few obeyers. And it's those who submit their lives to the authority of Jesus by the means of obedience. 
inherit an eternal blessing. So this morning, what I want us to do is to really think about this question. Am I really submitting my life to Jesus? Is Jesus really my Lord? And I want us to think about the result of submitting that. I want to show you, brother or sister, a promise that Jesus has for you this morning. I think, I think often this is considered a negative verse, but I, but I see so much positive here. And so there really is two ways to live, to, to kind of seal um, two ways to live. There are two ways, and Jesus illustrates this for us this morning. You can either live for him or you can live against him. You can live a life built Live for Jesus that will lead to eternal blessings, or, or you can live a life lived for yourself. That, that really is only two ways to live. And so Jesus presents us the results of both ways. He, he demonstrates what will happen, what, how one's life will end when they live for themselves or for him. So look with me here in verses 24 through 25. A life lived for Jesus will lead to eternal blessings. Jesus here gives us this vivid illustration of the wise man who hears and obeys. Look what he says in verse 24. Everyone or anyone, so this is sort of universal, anyone or everyone who does what? Notice the, the two things. First, hears and does. There, there's a... There's a uh, a compound there of hearing and doing. One who not only allows the word to affect their heart, but it propels them to action. They hear these words of mine and they do them. And notice how he describes those who are, as James would put it, doers of the word. He describes them as a wise man. Well, Jesus here is building upon a foundation of the Old Testament. This is not new revelation. Jesus is not providing these disciples anything new, but rather communicating the principle that God has always given to his people of hearing and obeying. And you might say, what? Yes. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. What is the first thing he tells the man? Be fruitful and multiply. It's an imperative. It's a command. Do something. And Adam and Eve had a choice. They could either do what God said or they could do their own thing. And tragically, we know in Genesis chapter 3 that Eve chose to do life her way rather than God's way. And that is exactly the central piece of human fallacy and fallenness and brokenness is choosing to hear God's word but then do our own thing but Jesus here describes those who hear and obey as those who are wise well consider how Solomon begins the the, the book of Proverbs in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 5 he says this let the wise hear and increase in learning the one who understands obtain guidance. In other words, there's a correlation between hearing and obeying. I'll give you one other one in, in Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 8. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. In other words, there's a connection between wisdom and obedience. 
A fool is one who hears and obeys or disobeys. That's, that's the picture that James paints for us. The, 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 the illustration James has is a man who looks intently at himself in a mirror. In other words, he, he stands in front of a mirror and uh, he studies what he looks like. And he sees that he has a certain color of hair and a, and a certain uh, color of eyes and a certain pigment of skin and a certain style of clothes on and, and uh, a certain amount of weight that he carries around with him, if you know what I mean. And, and he's either skinny or big and, and, and he looks at himself and then he, he does an about face. He turns and he, he, he imagines himself to be entirely different than what he just saw in that mirror. James describes that as a fool, one who hears but does not obey the word. Jesus here describes those who obey him as a wise man, one who is wise. And look what he says. He, he has this illustration he uses. A wise man who built his house on the rock. Now as we read this, and, and I don't know if anyone here and here are our builders this morning. Jesus doesn't mean that a man went out and found a rock and he built a house upon a rock, but rather he built his house upon the bedrock. He dug down and found a firm place to build his house. He, he went down in the earth and built upon that which would not shift, that which would, would not change. And he describes this man as one who built his house on the bedrock, a firm foundation. And notice what happened to the man. Verse 25. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house. In other words, nature threw everything it could at it, but yet the house did not move. It did not fall. It did not fall flat. It did not crumble. It did not crack. And Jesus says, why? Because it had been founded or built upon the bedrock. It had a firm foundation. Jesus here is telling his disciples, illustrating for us this morning, that a life built upon the firm foundation of Jesus and the apostles' teaching leads to eternal blessings. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you listen and hear what I say and do it, then you will build a life on a firm foundation. Jesus will will say similarly in Luke chapter 6. Uh, Luke chapter 6 is uh, a parallel to the Sermon on the Mount. Most likely another occasion, not the same occasion as this, this account here in Matthew. Uh, Jesus says it this way. He says that, that this wise man is like a man who built a house, who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood came, the streams broke against that house. It could not shake it. Because it had been well beat. In other words, there was no evidence that a tremendous storm had ever confronted that house before. Or perhaps later on here in Matthew chapter 16. Remember what Jesus said, uh, or rather what Peter said to Jesus when he confessed Jesus as the Christ, he said, to be, he said to Peter, Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What did he mean? He meant the confession that Jesus Christ and Lord, this confession of who Jesus was. Or Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are fellow saints 
fellow members, rather, fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In other words, what Jesus envisions here is a life built upon the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ contained in the scriptures. A life lived upon the apostles' teachings. This, of course, was the vision that John saw in Revelation chapter 21. When John sees the, the new city, that celestial city coming down, he, he sees that the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. In other words, our life is to be built upon the apostles' teaching about Jesus. You could say it similarly. Our lives are to be built upon the word of God as revealed in scripture. In other words, we're not hearing new things, new revelation. It's not that God told me to do this and do that and therefore I did it. But rather, we hear from God in his word. You want to hear from God this morning. You want God to give direction to you in your life. If you are indwelt by the Spirit, you are to open your Bible and the same Spirit that inspired the words before you dwells within you and that Spirit will lead you. That's what it means to be led by God. It doesn't mean to pray and, and somehow meditate and receive some answer from God, some audible yes or some impression from God, but rather to open His Word. You want God to speak into your life? Well, you've got to go where God speaks. He speaks in his word. That's where he speaks. He doesn't speak out in nature. He doesn't speak while you're fishing by the sea. He speaks through his word. He doesn't speak through prophets and preachers. He speaks through his word. Uh, the, only, the preacher is merely a conduit by which God's word is communicated to you. All a preacher should be doing, if he's doing his job right, is just, con just communicating the word of God to you in a way that applies to your life today. That's it. We ain't got nothing new to say. My prayer for this congregation is that if we were to fast forward in time, a hundred years from now, I hopefully we're all gone by then, but uh, maybe we're not. Is that the same thing would be happening. That it's about the word of God and not the word of man. Our lives need to be built upon the word. This is what Matthew concludes the Sermon on the Mountain with. Listen to what he says again. Look there at verses 28 and 29. And when Jesus had finished saying these things. In other words, when he had concluded the message, saying, communicating, words, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Why? Well, he tells us why. For Jesus was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. You see, the scribes had the keys of interpretation. The scribes had the answers. They were yes men. There was a, a, a gentleman years ago uh, on the radio. He was the Bible answer man. I hated that. And I hated that because it, it misunderstood what preachers and teachers are. Brothers and sisters, let me help you out this morning. 
pastors and Bible teachers and Sunday school teachers and seminary, whoever, they are not Bible answer men and women. They are not yet. They, that's not who they are. Jesus is the authoritative teacher. It is his authority and his authority alone. And our authority comes from how close we are to the text. All right. That's it. The closer we are to the meaning of the text, the, that's, that's where our authority comes from. I have nothing to say to you this morning beyond what God has said in his word. Our authority in the pulpit and in teaching comes from the authority that Jesus possesses. And so this morning, I want you to see that Jesus' teaching is binding upon the souls and consciences of all men. It is an authoritative word. It's not a suggestion. It's not a, you know, if you get around to it, you can submit to Jesus. No, it is authority. It is the final answer to all things. This is why John describes Jesus as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is all things from the beginning of the alphabet to the end of the alphabet. Or... As Jesus himself says here in the Sermon on the Mount, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. Don't think I've come to set aside the, the Bible or, or God's re revelation, but rather I have come to fulfill them. For I say to you, unless heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus is the authoritative teacher of God's word. As he'll say at the very end of Matthew's gospel, what's the last thing Jesus says to his disciples? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to who? Me, to Jesus. He is the preeminent sovereign Lord. He has all authority. And friend, it doesn't matter if you believe Jesus is Lord or not. The truth remains, Jesus is Lord. But brothers and sisters, I want you to look at this again. And I want you to see a number of things. Number one, as we compare these two houses, I want you to see something here. Before we move on to the, to the foolish man. I want you to see that both houses are hit with the same thing. Jesus doesn't say those who build on the foundation of my teaching and my apostles' teaching will have easy street. He doesn't say that, that, it, that it's going to be sunshine and blue skies every day, does he? He doesn't say that it's going to be peaceful and quiet. and You can set out on that beautiful deck you got out back and just hear the birds chirping. No, he says that the rain's coming. That the wind is going to blow. That the flood... Well, they're going to come, and they're going to beat on that house. Look at the language he uses. I mean, it's, it's, it's graphic. Beat on that. It's going to pound on that house. Uh, similarly, in Luke chapter 6, he says that, that the streams broke, and it would not shake it. It's violence here. Meant to unsettle, meant to, meant to remove. And, and Jesus said, it's coming. Trials are coming, but friend, it will not shake you. It will not move you. We will not be moved from this foundation. If you're on the right foundation, brothers and sisters, do not miss the promise that Jesus lays before you this morning. If you have built your life upon the word of God, you will not be shaken. 
As we're going to sing in just a moment, one of my favorite hymns, if you understand the historical significance of what that hymn writer is capturing, people are out in the yard being burned at the stake, and he says that flame shall not hurt you, shall not consume you. As Tyndale confessed upon burning at the stake, his heart was that the word of God be unleashed upon the people there in England. Because he knew it was the word of God, not the teachings of God's word, that would ultimately bring about the transformation of all of Europe. That was the commitment of of the reformers. The reformers knew if they could get God's word in the hands of God's people, that it would utterly transform. This is why they were committed to the preaching of God's word. That's why Luther gave himself to preaching. Why Calvin gave himself to preaching why Zwingli gave himself to preaching. They didn't give themselves to, to, to building amazing churches or to great architecture or, or, to, or to any other thing than to preaching and to teaching God's word. May I say this is why Luther himself devoted to hymnody? Because he wanted to teach his people theological truth through hymns and why today we still sing hymns? Because it's all about being built upon the foundation of the word of God. You know, so often as Christians, we we turn Bible reading and Bible study into some silly cliche. And we, we make ourselves feel guilty because we're not reading our Bibles. What does Jesus say about it? It should be a joyful endeavor because in that we are digging out, we are mining out in our life a firm bedrock foundation that will not shake, will not move. That does not again mean we will have easy street. Friend, this morning, if you are in Christ, you are in Christ alone. That beautiful picture of that and Romans chapter 8. Man, if you don't know Romans chapter 8, get to know it. He says this in Romans chapter 8, through the Apostle Paul, Jesus says that knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure of this, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love or separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a pretty good list if there's a list to be made. That's a pretty exhaustive list. Nothing. I always read that and say, man, Chris, even you can't mess this up. That's an encouragement. Because left to myself, I know I can mess this up. Nothing, he says. Not even you, Paul. Not even you, church in Rome. Not even you, church in Corinth. Not even you, Catonsville Baptist Church, can mess this up if your life is built upon the foundation of Jesus' word. You can stand. You will stand. At the end of the day, your house is still standing. And brothers and sisters, that is the testimony of every single saint who has gone before us, is their house is still standing. They did not recount. They did not abandon the faith. They endured to the end. And friend, you can only endure to the end because you have Christ as your sure and your steady anchor. 
You sang it. When the winds of death blow, when the winds of death are going to blow, and they're going to blow, and they're going to blow, but only through Jesus Christ do you have the victory. Only through Jesus Christ can you still stand. A life lived for Jesus is a life lived in submission to Jesus through obedience to his word. Again, friend, do not misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. He is not saying that you know him, you know facts about him, but that you obey him. To deny yourself, to take up your cross and to follow Jesus or to build your life upon a firm foundation is what? What does he say? Who hears and does. Friend, if you're not a doer of the word this morning, your life is not built upon a firm foundation. You've been deceived. The contractors who built your house have deceived you. They didn't go down to the bedrock. They didn't go down. No, they they took the cheap way. The easy way. They just scraped the grass and began to build your house. Your house is just built on the sand. And it's going to wash away. A life lived against Jesus will lead to eternal destruction. Look at what Jesus says. As beautiful as the promise is to those who build upon the rock, the horror and tragedy strikes those who build life their own way. Look what he says, verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. You notice the two things, don't you? The parallel that he has. First, both men hear the same message. Both individuals hear the same presentation. Both of them are present there that day, hearing that sermon from Jesus' lips. So it's not that they misunderstood. It's not that they didn't get all of the information. It wasn't that Jesus was not an effective communicator. No, they heard the word. And they willingly chose to not obey. You see it there? Look again. Look at the verb he chose. And who hear and does not do them. It's a verb. Negated. Does not do. In other words, it's just as much of an action as, it, as those who are doers of the words as those who choose not to do the word. Friend, it is a willing choice to rebel against the one true and living God. There is no human being that will ever turn up into the presence of God and say, I did not hear, I was absent that day. Now, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1 and 2 that men willingly choose to go against nature in what can be clearly perceived about who God is. God has revealed himself to the consciences of all men, but men silence that in choosing to live their own life. In other words, it is an active effort to repel against God. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. No one had to teach your little toddler to scream and throw a fit. You didn't sit them down and take them through some course to to make them act like fools. 
No, we're born like fools. We act like fools from day one, crying for all kinds of things. And, and well, we just get older and we still cry and whine. <laughs> A fool hears but rejects Jesus. That language he uses here. The fool, the psalmist says, says there is no God. I love that. A, a fool says there is no God when God has clearly revealed himself. Or as Proverbs, as Solomon would go on in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You see, it's active. It's not passive. Do not ever think that sin is passive. That, that disobeying God is some form of passive act that you just kind of stumble into. No, no, it is willful rebellion against the Creator to sin against Him. We all choose to do it, willingly. No one tricks us into it. That's why the Apostle Paul tells the church in Corinth, you know that verse that you put, you know, no, no thing, no temptation will, will come upon man that, that we can't prevail against. You know, you probably got it at your house somewhere. I know it. Do you know that that's Paul's little slight at, at those who think that they've, they've just befallen to temptation? In other words, that they kind of stumbled into temptation? In other words, Paul's saying, you idiot, you didn't stumble into temptation. You dreamt about temptation. You ran to temptation. And then you had a party when you fell in temptation. And you're just sorry you got caught. That's it. Brothers and sisters, a fool is the one who hears and rejects. Solomon captures it this way in Proverbs chapter 18. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only expresses his opinion. Friend, you need that on your Fox News feed, all right? Or whatever news station you listen to, all right? A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Let me pause right here and give you a little counsel. You want help following Jesus? Commit your life to reading the Proverbs every day, and I bet you, you will follow Jesus better. Because the Proverbs do a really good thing in making this world look in 4K. You see this world with all of its ugliness when you read the Proverbs. And all the reality, you're like, yeah, hey, I work with that guy. Uh, he likes to express his opinions, and he makes, takes no pleasure in any real facts. That's a fool. To hear that this is how you can live and willingly choose to do life your own way and to know what's going to result of it. Jesus says a life built upon a weak foundation of personal morality and personal wisdom leads to eternal destruction. Look what he says. The man who chooses to disobey me is a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. It didn't just fall, friend. It fell great. The winds came, he says, the rains came and it fell. Friend, Jesus pictures here a pretty bleak picture, doesn't he? 
He doesn't say, you know, that the house got some structural cracks in it and needed some repair work. He doesn't say, you know, the roof blew off of it, but, you know, well, it's repairable. He didn't say, you know, some siding blew off whenever, or that it got some flood damage and, and they're going to have to have Chris come over and clean the carpets out whenever it's all said and done. No, 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 no. He said it fell. And it didn't just fall. It had a great fall, a big fall, a loud fall, a noticeable fall. What is Jesus' point? Jesus wants to make clear that one day, every single human being, young and old, those who lived but minutes and those who lived a full lifetime, will stand before Jesus and give an account. He says it in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36. Just a, just a few pages from where we're at right here. He says, I tell you that the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For there is a judgment day. There is a judgment day. There is a day when every one of us will have to give an account. The Bible says that Jesus is the judge. He is the one whom we will have to give an account to. Even as believers, we will have to give an account for our lives. As pastors, we're told that there's a special little line, a special day. Um, and I would just avoid that line if I was you. <laughs> I'll be in it and I'm not looking forward to it. It's a sobering day. It's a somber day. It is a joyful day if you are in Christ, if you've been faithful. It's a good day. But friends, that day is coming. And Jesus here paints a picture of utter destruction for those. And friend, this morning, if you are living life for yourself, and I don't, you can call yourself Christian. I don't know what you call yourself or what you go around saying. But, but friend, if, if the track that plays in your mind is, is that song, I did it my way, if that's the track that plays at your funeral, well, he did it his way. Oh, friend. There's no doubt what you're facing today or that day. You see, a life lived for yourself is a life that will in the end crumble. Friend, you may look good now. <laughs> I mean, things may be going well. You might think, preacher, there's no flood coming. There's no rain. It ain't going to rain on my house. I got this. And maybe you do. Friend, Jesus says you're just a fool. And you're just fooling yourself and you're fooling everyone around you. Your foundation is crumbling and so is your life. You just don't know it yet. Friend, you have nothing waiting for you this side of heaven if you live your life for yourself today. All throughout this sermon, Jesus says those who live for me are storing up for themselves an eternal reward far than any mind could even imagine. You know, so often in life, we are tempted to live for the here and now, to live for ourselves, for our own selfish desires. Much of it is a Western idea. It is a Western cultural idea of, of self-gratification and self-desire and self-promotion and self-self-self. But friends, one day you're going to die. 
There's no vaccine you can take that will prevent death. No medicine that you, you can take. No, no, no serum that you can inject into your face to make yourself look more dead. You will die one day. We all will. It's reality of living in a fallen world. The question is, is who will you live for today? Will you live for yourself or will you live for Jesus? Friend, there is hope for you this morning. You, you may have made a, a real mess of your life. Your life may have been built and, and is built upon the sand. But today, you can, if you turn and trust in Christ, have a new foundation right now. They can, we can just uh, excavate and dig deep. And Jesus is a miracle worker in that way. If you will go the narrow way by submitting your life to Jesus and obeying his word, then you too can, can have a, a life built upon the foundation of Jesus and, and know that whatever is thrown your way, you will stand. But, but know this, friend, if, if you choose to continue to live a life in rebellion against Jesus through your disobedience to his clear word, the word that you have heard this morning to bow your knee to him, you are accountable to that this morning. And if you choose to continue your own way, there is a dire warning for you that you will be destroyed. And the only thing that will be told of your life is that it fell. And great was the fall of it. Author and pastor Tim Keller says, that most people want Jesus as a consultant rather than a king. Friend, is that you this morning? That Jesus is your life coach? He's just a consultant? You know, when things are going real bad, when you've kind of made a mess of things, like we so often do, well, you, you sit down with Jesus for a bit, you... You cozy up to the closest pew and you open your Bible and you begin to listen to what Jesus has to say and look for some pointers in your life and then you just go back to doing things your own way. Friend, is Jesus just a, a consultant? He just an acquaintance? Jesus is king. And to make Jesus king of your life, you've got to obey him. There's no other way to, to say it. You can't be king and Jesus be king. It just doesn't work that way. Either Jesus is king of your life or you are. And friend, this morning I invite you to join us in making Jesus your king. By living for his glory. And friend... Trust me when I say, it will be for your eternal good. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that we might build upon this firm foundation. Let those in Christ this morning be encouraged. Those who right now are feeling the, the rain falling in their life. Who've given their life to following you. And it's not been easy. There's a lot of trial in their life. A lot of difficulty. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd remind them that a life built upon your word 
will lead to eternal blessing. It's a firm foundation. Those rains, those winds, those floodwaters will not prevail. We are in Christ. Now I pray this morning those who are deceived into thinking that they are living for your glory, but yet living life their own way. Father, I pray by your spirit you would draw them out. Let them experience such conviction of their sin that they would turn and go this new way in Christ. These are our prayers.